Okay, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3 today. If you, if you want to open your Bibles, your pew Bible, your, your phone app, because we're going to go through this rich portion of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 3 and 14 to 21. That's my text this morning. Let's read that. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that... According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is a great section as we're working our way through the book of Ephesians. Today, I want to talk about empowering your prayer life. This is actually the second prayer in the letter to the Ephesians. There's one in chapter one also. And like the prayer in chapter one, this prayer, you notice, is spiritual in nature. It wasn't for our healing, though that's a good thing to pray for. It wasn't for more finances. That's an okay thing to pray for. But it's spiritually oriented. The prayer in Ephesians 1 was for enlightenment, that our eyes would be open, that we would be able to see all that God has prepared for us. This prayer is for enablement. Chapter 1's prayer that you might see, chapter 3's that you might be. So what is Paul's counsel to us and how to empower our prayer life? Well, in the first couple verses, he just sets a few prerequisites for prayer. First one is pray with a reason. Pray with a reason. He says in verse 14, for this reason, I'm going to come to the Lord in prayer. Well, don't we always have a reason for praying? Yeah, I guess we always have a reason for praying. And, and a lot of times it's pretty non-thinking and rote. At meals, we, we say the same prayer. At bedtimes, kind of the same prayer. Tired old prayers. We're just mouthing the same words over and over again. Maybe we could focus on prayer, to have a reason for prayer. I think the best prayers are biblical prayers from the Psalms. You could open up your Bible and pray the prayers that are already in the Bible and apply them to yourselves. Desperation prayers, I feel like those are really good prayers, but sometimes those prayers wind up being the last thing we do instead of the first thing. Prayer, you don't want it to be a last resort. Well, I tried to do everything on my own. Now I'm desperate, so I'll just pray. No. Prayer, that intimacy, that personal relationship with God, we want to come to that first. So what's Paul's reason? He tells us back in verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul is in jail, remember, and his heart is for them. He's thinking about the Ephesian Christians. and He doesn't want them to be discouraged that he can't be with them. That he's in jail. So he prays for their encouragement and empowerment that they would not lose heart and give up. Pray with a reason. 
We have lots of reasons to pray for ourselves, our families. How about for our country? Our country is in big trouble, guys. We're going to gather on November the 6th, that's Sunday evening, just for a season of prayer. Focus prayer for our country. Pray. Pray with a reason. Secondly, he says, pray with humility. Also in verse 14, I bow my knees. Now, you may or may not know this, but most Jews of this time prayed standing up. In Matthew 6, 5 and 6, Jesus said, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. You've probably seen the news occasionally. People standing at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, right? They're standing and they're kind of rocking back and forth. So most Jews prayed standing up. It was unusual to pray kneeling. But Paul is saying, I get down on my knees here, which shows intensity and humility. You bow before a king, right? It shows your dependence on that king and his power to grant your request. It, praying in itself demonstrates humility, Aren't you saying when you pray, I can't do it on my own. I need you. I need your help. If Paul kneeled and he says he does here, if he's chained to a guard, unless it was a really long chain, that guard was going to have to kneel too. Watchman Nee wrote an interesting book on postures in Ephesians. Sit, walk, stand was the title of that book. From chapter 2, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. From chapter 4, we're to walk worthy of the Lord. And in chapter 6, we're to stand against powers of evil forces. Sit, walk, stand. But before we do those, we have to kneel. We have to kneel in prayer. Humble ourselves before God when we pray. And thirdly, we pray to the Father. Paul says that in verse 14, before the Father. Jesus taught us to pray to the Father in his name, not to God, G-O-D, which is kind of a religious name or term for all religions have their God. We pray to the Father because we have that intimate, personal relationship. It's a family word, Abba, Father, family, closeness. We're sons and daughters, so that's how we approach our Father in prayer. He, he loves us as his children. It says from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. God loves family. He wants a family in heaven and on earth. So when you pray, have a reason. You humble yourselves in prayer. And you look at it as my providing father who I'm talking to. So we come to verses 16 through 19. And that's the prayer itself. And then 20 and 21, that's the benediction or the doxology. It's a prayer of enablement, a prayer for increased capacity. Let me illustrate it this way. You're going to the ocean. You're at the beach. And you just think to yourself, you know what? I want to take some ocean water home. So all you have is a little jar, maybe a cup or something. 
And so you scoop up some ocean water and you think, man, I would like more ocean water than just that. And as you're walking along the beach, you, you see an unused bucket. You pick that up and you fill up the bucket. You've got you have more ocean water now. Then, then you see uh, a 55 gallon drum. Man, you fill that up with ocean water. You're going to haul that thing home. So you've got some of the ocean. But then an oil tanker pulls up that's empty. Now you can fill that oil tanker up with ocean water. Okay, kind of a silly illustration, I admit. But this is the point of this is you want to pray, God, give me increased capacity to receive all that you have for me. Let me illustrate it another way, probably also silly. Little boy visited a chocolate factory and he was told at the beginning of the tour, we're going to give you a piece of chocolate at the end. But he wasn't satisfied with just one little piece of chocolate. He wanted a lot more than just a little piece. And so he was looking down below this giant vat where they were stirring up the chocolate and he was leaning over so far he fell in. So he's swimming around in the chocolate and he said, God, thank you for answering my prayer. God over answered his prayer. So, Lord, let my capacity equal my opportunity. We need increased capacity, Paul is saying here to the Ephesian Christians. In chapter one, his prayer there uses four different words for power. Now he uses the word power of strength three different times here. So Paul is clear. We need power. God wants to give you power. Now, let me give you three things to increase our capacity for power in our life. Number one, power comes from the inside out. Verse 16, Paul says you're in your inner being. Remember, I talked about our spirit, man, before we were saved, our spirit person, the real us on the inside was dead, just lying at our feet. But when we're born again, it stands up on the inside of us. It's alive. We're made alive in Christ. Now we have the capacity to receive the spiritual blessings that are ours. We have the ability now to have a relationship and relate to God. I have capacity for all the spiritual riches that are mine in Christ. The Holy Spirit within tells me what's mine in Christ. But I appropriate it by prayer. Prayer is like my pin number, like my access code to all that God has for me, all the spiritual riches that are mine in Christ. So do you need this kind of power in your life right now? It comes in your inner being, not your mind. Or your body. It isn't like, wow, I just got to get smarter. And if I know a lot more of the Bible. No, it's in your core, the real you. That's what you connect with God, your spirit person. And if you never pray, you're going to miss this. God put his Holy Spirit in you to empower you to be the person he wants you to be. From the inside out. On the outside, you could look like a very confident person. You've lost some weight. You dress really sharp. You're going back to school. You're getting it together. That's all good. But that's all outward. That's all the flesh. Real power comes from God into your inner being. And the result is Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Just think about that for a second. Can you picture Christ dwelling in your heart through faith? This is. I'm not just saying metaphysical mumbo jumbo to you. This is real. This is reality. Hebrews 13, 5. 
Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm there. I'm in you. Dwell. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. That's Greek word is for permanence. And it's two actual words down and home, down home. God wants to make his home down in you, inside you to dwell in your hearts. Bob Munger, maybe some of you have heard of him. He wrote a really neat little book called My Heart, Christ's Home. And he describes each room of your home like your heart and that Christ wants to come into it, enter every room of your heart. So let's picture our hearts and Christ is on the outside knocking and we open the door of our heart to him and he comes in. Do we make him stand in the foyer? Lord, we'll just have our conversation here. Or maybe we feel comfortable enough to invite him into the living room. So he's in the living room. But man, there's that back bedroom. No, I don't want you to go back in there, Lord. I got this closet over here that I don't want you to open that closet door and see what's in there. But you see, Christ wants to go into every part of our heart. He wants access to it all. We think, well, let me just sweep and tidy up a little bit, Lord. Then you can come in. Let me, let me redecorate. I think you'll like that better. No, that, the Holy Spirit's going to do that work. You just keep opening doors of your heart. He'll keep coming in. Power comes from Christ living his life through ours. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Secondly, power comes from grasping how much God loves you. Power comes from Grasping how much God loves you. That revelation. Verses 17 and 18. True confession here. For the longest time, I thought God just tolerated me. You know, that's his job as God. He says, I don't care much for Ed. He messes up a lot, but I guess I'll just love him anyway. It wasn't till I read John 17, 23, that the light bulb just exploded in my mind and it became real to me. God loves me as much as Jesus. John 17, 23. I am them. Jesus is high priestly prayer. I am them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me. And did you see this last phrase? Love them even as. You loved me, even as, the same as, just as. I can remember at Fuller Seminary reading George Eldon Ladd's New Testament theology book and justification by grace through faith just came alive to me. I think I rolled off the couch onto the floor. Wow, I couldn't believe it. Freely pardoned by his grace. And then one day reading John seventeen twenty three, and it was just like, it was a revelation. God didn't just tolerate me. He loved me as much as Jesus. And I know some of you here in this, it probably is pretty hard to accept. Because you've only known love is conditional. I, I've got to work for it. I've got to earn it. And if I don't do it well enough, well, mom, dad, somebody's not going to love me. When God's love is con unconditional, I just love you. We need increased capacity 
to receive and understand and know that love. His love is so vast. We could spend all eternity trying to wrap our tiny brains around it. That's why Paul tells us to pray so we can grasp it. We need prayer to understand God's love. Like the Olympic weightlifter. He, he lifts 500 pounds or whatever it is over his head. What if he handed it to you? Wow, you would need really increased capacity for strength really quick or you're going under the weights. Paul prays that they would be rooted and grounded in love. Rooted is an agricultural term for a stable root system. It's how the tree gets nourishment and grows. You've seen pictures of the latest hurricane that came through southwest Florida, Ian, and all the damage it did. I was amazed to see all like a bomb went off at Fort Myers Beach and there were palm trees, you know, bent over in half through that entire storm. But they stood up. Why? Stable root system. And then grounded is an architectural term for the building's foundation. The building's foundation, if it's made to code, is really strong and solid cement block. Some houses totally destroyed by Ian. Others looked hardly harmed at all. Maybe they were built better, built to code. So God's love will help you stand up in this worst storm that you can imagine. You're rooted and grounded in his love. Nothing's going to shake you from that fact, that reality. Then Paul goes on to say strength to comprehend with all the saints God's love. We understand God's love in relationship. This was another revelation to me, being an only child, uh, not having the siblings around, just more isolated, played by myself on my own more. That's why we need the church. That's one reason why God founded the church, so we would learn to love one another. Fifty nine one another's in the New Testament. There's no Lone Ranger Christianity mindset. We're family. God loves you through others. And we learn how to love God by loving others. God's love is like a giant puzzle. And I think every Christian is a piece. And the thing about it is every Christian is different. Some are pretty, some are plain, some are multicolored, some are detailed. And each individual piece is in the whole picture. We need all of us together to form that whole picture. We need to see each other and love each other to see God's love perfectly. So I'm glad you're here today. And I hope you feel God's love in your heart. And I hope you feel love from one another here. And if you're new, reach out to others and get involved, get plugged in so you can feel his love. Then Paul uses some measurement terms, breadth and length and height and depth to describe God's love. And he's saying that these are four dimensions of God's love, but even they don't grasp it. It's still beyond comprehension. Psalm 5710, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. There the psalmist is trying to describe God's love by saying, boy, the whole universe doesn't fill up God's love. For you, you can spend your life trying to grasp it. Even marriage, which I think is the closest analogy that we have to God's love, still falls short. A hymn writer wrote, could we with ink the oceans fill and were the skies of parchment made, were very stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above. 
would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Very beautifully and poetically expressed, yet it falls short of reality. God's love. Probably the best picture is the cross. To spend time reflecting, meditating on the cross of Jesus Christ. God's love. Best expressed there. He loved you that much that he spread out his arms for you. Pray that you see God's love for you. You'll never totally grasp it. His grace, his love, adequate words. Now they fall short. So pray. Ask God to fill you with the fullness of himself. Verse 19. To increase your capacity to receive love. You know, from the cup to the bucket to the barrel to the oil tanker. Increase our capacity for love, Lord. And finally, Paul prays power would come from giving God the glory. The last two verses. Beautiful doxology as he ends this prayer. This prayer here, verse 20 especially, reminded me of 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Oh, man, God's love and grace is so great. He over answers our prayers. You've heard people say this. That guy is so generous, he would give you the shirt right off his back. You ever heard that phrase? You know what? I've seen that guy and he's always wearing a shirt. We give people more praise than we give God for generosity. Jesus' shirt was ripped off his back for you. His skin was ripped off his back for you. Give him glory. He's a great king. Yet I think sometimes in prayer, we don't act and pray and believe like we're praying to a great king. There's a story surrounding Arnold Palmer. He was golfing one time in Saudi Arabia and the king or sultan was so impressed with him. He, he said, ask me for something. I'll give you whatever you want. So he thought, why do I ask the king of Saudi Arabia? So he thought, well, how about a golf club? So he gave him the title deed to a golf club. So you get it? Golf club, the, the, the golf, the whole course. OK. All right. Now, I'm pretty sure that's an urban legend, but the point is the same. We have a great king who deserves our very best. All the glory that we could give should go to him according to the power at work within us. Again, our inner being. It's an inside job. We receive the capacity for all that God has for us. Christ in us. Let me read John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the father. Now, I've read that verse and I thought, now, how's that possible? How could we do greater works than Jesus? But then I thought, well, on earth, he was limited as a human being and God in a human being. He was limited to one place at one time. But now in us, Christ in us. Now, wherever Christians are all around the world, we can be doing his work or he could be doing his work through us. You see, greater works than these will you do. 
because I've gone to the Father. All the glory goes to him. Verse 21, he won't share his glory with another. Reminds us of it, Isaiah 48, 11. For my sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. When Nebuchadnezzar tried to take some of God's glory, he ate grass like a cow. And when Herod took some of God's glory, the maggots ate him. Give God glory. He's a great king. Whenever you're praised and complimented, just pass it on to God. God gets glory in the church, Paul says, as he's finishing up here. He will share his glory there because the church is his body. Now, people put the church down all the time. And you know what? As a pastor, I understand that. Church, small C, we mess up. Church, big C, his body, his bride. Who are you to put down his bride, his body, the church? 1 Corinthians 3.17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Give honor and glory to Christ's body, the church, and then glory in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Everything points to Jesus. Give him glory. Do you need God's power in your life? Then pray. Talk to your father daily. That's how you access all the spiritual riches that are yours in Christ. And pray that you would experience his love. In a deeper, more profound way than you ever have. Let's pray. Lord, I love Paul's prayers. They're so spiritual. They're they're teaching me to pray differently. So, Lord, I would pray for our folks this morning that they would know the love of Christ. Your love in a deeper, more profound way will probably never comprehend it totally. But as we keep our eyes on Jesus, you just keep loving, pouring your love in us and through us to others. Lord, I would ask this for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and close with a song.